Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. Joining you once again, I'm your host, Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat. Along with me for the ride, none other than Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? Oh, uh, it's going pretty well, Mark. How are you? Uh, I'm uh, I'm good, except for the Orioles being bad, actually. So, well, you know, that's facts of life, Mark. That is that is our ongoing problem. So, you know, probably a lot of our podcasts will be about that, and uh, you all wouldn't be listening if you weren't well aware of that already. So we are recording this on the off day, July the 21st. Tomorrow will be the start of the Angels series. We're actually going to miss the Angels' best pitchers, which is exciting. Jared Weaver, Jared Weaver pitched today. I think Dan Heron pitched yesterday. So I don't know who else there is, but... None of none of those guys. So since we last joined you, our, probably our biggest piece of Orioles news is that J.J. Hardy agreed to his contract extension. What was it? Three years on top of this year for like $22 million, $22.5 million. It is three years. I believe it's $7 million each year. And he got an extra million and a half bucks this year for signing the contract. Yeah, well, I wish somebody would give me a million and a half bucks for signing a contract. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. So what what is your gut reaction to signing JJ to that extension? Well, it's actually funny. My gut reaction was to sort of hate it, and I think that's just my st- the default setting is the Orioles made a move. It was probably the wrong move. But the more I've thought about it, the more you know, I'm really very happy with it. Um, I love JJ Hardy. You know, he is not the perfect player. He's flawed um and he's having a career year and you never want to buy high but the contract is surprisingly affordable and it's about time the Orioles found somebody who was willing to forego free agency to take an under market deal with them um who was you know worth his salt a little bit and um also the more I've thought about it the less I believe that the trade market form was really going to net the Orioles the thing that they actually need. Right. Things are not going in the direction of getting a lot for two months rentals anymore. I mean, it's just not. And it's not like JJ Hardy was going to bring. I mean, okay. So maybe the Mets, like Jose Reyes, if they traded him, that that would probably be worth more to a contender. But I mean, I don't think JJ is quite on that level, although I like him a lot. No, but, I mean, Jose Reyes is a legit MVP candidate right. in the National League. And, you know, I was reading a bunch of reactions, and I, I like Jonah Carey's the best. He said it was a good deal for both sides. He said J.J. Hardy finally gets financial security. He gets to stay in one place for the first time in his career, really, where he's wanted. The Orioles get a good shortstop for good market value they can't afford to get the the first tier guys on the free agent market so they have to settle for the second tier guys and that's what jj hardy is he's the second tier guy that is not a a slag at him he's a very good shortstop he's just not an mvp candidate and the great thing about that is the Orioles actually paid him fairly to him and them as a player who's on that second tier. One problem with the Orioles, I think, is they pay the second tier guys too much to even get them to come to Baltimore. Or 
to get them to stay in Baltimore. Um, you know, somebody you probably say that's going to end up being like Nick Markakis and the latter part of Brian Roberts's career uh, are going to be overpaid for. And I don't, I mean, unless JJ is hurt a lot and hopefully, you know, maybe he'll get like a stint on the DL every year. Cause that's just what happens to him. But hopefully it's not much more than that. I was, I was happy to see him get extended. I mean, there's all the talk about, Oh, he'll be a bridge to Machado, whatever. I mean, I don't care about that. I just think, He's been a good player for us, and he's shown that he's been a good player in the past when he's not injured. So it's not like we're just buying this good year. And, uh, you know, cross our fingers, hopefully he keeps it up. And... On the downside, though, I mean, it's it's going to be nice to have him. But if the Orioles can't find players to actually be, like, the MVP candidate type of player... That's I mean that's gonna we're just gonna waste JJ Hardy's best years. Right. Hopefully his best years. Right. If JJ is our best player or even one of our three best players, you know, I don't think we're going to the World Series. So right. in that sense, it's like, well, what good does it do to extend JJ Hardy if you're gonna say, well, JJ will be one of our best players? But we we don't want him to be one of our best players. We want him to be a good player with lots of other good players around him, which isn't the case right now. But I don't know. Well. On that note, uh, we should look at who the Orioles um, are looking to be those best players that they can build around. I know I was paying more attention to Andy McPhail's press conference announcing the extension of J.J. Hardy. And um, one of the things I took note of him saying is that he thinks that the young pitching can bounce back to what it was at the latter end of last year when um, the Orioles for two months, we're the, one of the best teams in baseball, primarily on the starting rotation. Um, right, actually nine games over 500, was it, for the uh, the Buck tenure? Something I, like I, that? I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, now it's, it's kind of hard to imagine um, when the pitching staff was led by Brian Mattis, who's struggling in AAA, and, and Brad Bergeson, who's been just now brought back to the rotation and didn't exactly acquit himself well. No, indeed not. And um, Chris Tillman, who's struggling in AAA, and Jake Arrieta, who's struggling, I think is is fair to say. To, to ERA over five, I think we can call that a little bit of a struggle. So... So we were we were very excited about the young pitching for our first several podcasts. I think we spent a lot of time talking about how good we hoped the likes of Britton and Mattis would be. Well, yeah. And, I mean, that was the whole plan, was to get these guys. And I think um, Britton and Mattis sort of became the guys that you hoped would really become guys that they would be your, your centerpiece of the team. Um, legit number one and number two pitchers. Um, can they can they bounce back? Do you think that's going to happen, Mark? I think I have the best hope still for Zach Britton. Um, I mean, I think the main reason he's in double-A is for messing around with his service time. Probably it wouldn't hurt. Well, the, the cover story they gave is so he could go tweak some things with the, uh, the pitching coach who was with him for most of his professional career, which, okay, whatever, but... We all know that was about seizing the excuse to get the extra year of service time, which, you know, at least they waited till they had an excuse rather than 
doing it when it was totally transparent. But, I mean, Brian Mattis, I don't know. I just don't know. Where did his velocity go, and why is why is it not there anymore? He lost, what was it, three miles an hour, four on the fastball, pretty much. And uh, he got lit up yesterday in Norfolk. Well, I don't, maybe it wasn't in Norfolk, but it was against the Toledo Mud Hens. What is that, Detroit's AAA, if I yeah. remember yeah. right? For like eight runs over less than four innings, I think. Yeah. It, it was, uh, you know. I mean, there's, I don't know. I mean, I guess even in AAA, you can have a guy have a bad night. But what is he going to be if that velocity doesn't come back? And what do they have to do to get it to come back? Can it come back? I don't know. I mean, I don't know this stuff. It's it's really a bummer because Mattis certainly showed us. You know, you could look at him and you could see why the scouts all thought he was going to be a great pitcher. Even when he was taking his lumps, you could see the promise there. And we did not see anything of that from Mattis after he came back from his injury this year. No. Um, the, I, I was at the game in D.C. when the Nats sort of... Like, he just struggled to, to work his way through the Nats lineup. And eventually they got to him. And it, I mean... It didn't look like Brian Mattis. It, that just that wasn't the same pitcher. Um, you gotta wonder because you know you can say okay he hurt a muscle in spring training. He was hit by a line driver, nearly hit by a line drive, and pulled a muscle trying to duck out of the way. Maybe that's still bothering him. Who knows? Um, he says it's not, but. You know, maybe he's compensating in some way in his delivery. It's been known to happen. Maybe that's a freak thing. But then, you know, Chris Tillman had the same thing happen. He was throwing mid-90s in the minors, came up to Baltimore, was still throwing hard, took some lumps, and then fell apart <laughs> the next over the next two years. And now, like, he's... He's str- like he's barely a Triple A pitcher. Right, Tillman is not having a great time in Triple A either. So that's it. Does seem like whatever. Well, the same thing seems to have the same result seems to have happened to Madison Tillman. Whether the same things led to it, I don't know. But that's really it's, it's disheartening. Awfully, it's, yeah, it's very disheartening. It's very troublesome. Um, I mean, it's hard for us to really talk about what it even could be outside of bad luck and I don't, I don't do you think it's bad luck i feel like there has to be some underlying thing like it, i don't know i just that's what my gut says and who, well we all know what guts are worth i mean but oh. it just it's it stretches credibility for me that two guys that were showing to be good could just suddenly fall apart and of course we're also talking about a team that I mean, they're on their third pitching coach in six months, basically. Um, and before that, we've been through a bunch of pitching coaches over the past ten years. Um, I, I don't know how many it is exactly, but too many. Yeah, you, there's not a whole lot of consistency in the coaching staff, certainly. Um, in particular, the pitching coach uh, and the manager and the bullpen coach. Um, so, you know, you look at a team that's struggling to maintain 
their coaches and one presumes their coaching philosophies. And then you look at the same team as having a hard time keeping their starting pitchers healthy. And you got to wonder, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, it just seems like he, you want, the, you want to say, well, geez, hopefully Mattis and Tillman are just hurt somehow or still hurt so they can fix that, you know, and then, then they'll go back to being whatever. Although in the case of Tillman, I mean, I don't know that I've ever really seen where all the scouts raving about him, you know, like he's never had. Like Madison, Britton, and even Arietta, you could see where professional guys who this is their job think those guys are going to be good pitchers. But Tillman, any time he was in the big leagues, was just, you know, he just couldn't get through that fifth inning, just too many three-ball counts, too many walks, whatever. And even and with the lost rotation, he or lost velocity, rather, he was just getting beaten around mm. like silly. Well, I, you know, you could, it's easy to say that, and then you look at like his AAA season in 2009, and I mean that it's it looks like a completely different picture from what we've actually been able to see. So and Chris I, Tillman in AAA in, in 2009, he threw he threw 96.2 innings, he had over nine strikeouts per nine innings, 2.42 walks per nine innings. And less than half of a home run per nine innings. I mean, that's a pitcher that's striking out a bunch of guys, who's throwing hard, who has that good curveball, who's not walking a lot of guys. That sounds absolutely nothing like the guy we saw. In fact, every level of the minor leagues, before he hit the major leagues, he had struck out more than one batter an inning. Um, His major league total is striking out about five per nine, and he's walking four. And giving up 1.4 home runs. That's a lot of home runs. I mean, some of that's to be expected because he's a young kid making his major league debut. There's an adjustment period. Yeah. But, you know, then the velocity went away, and, I mean, now it's a mess. So, I don't know. I don't, you know. uh, I do know that Andy McPhail does think these guys can come back. Um, it, It doesn't sound crazy to me because... You know, we saw what they were capable of less than a year ago. Um, I guess just gun to your head, do, do you think it's possible that in August and September we could see maybe not as good of a pitching performance as what we saw last year, but something similar, enough to reinvigorate the franchise? I would really like it if that happened. I don't know how possible that is because i mean i'm just for like the last month i've been in such an orioles funk that just every time i think about anything i just assume the worst is going to happen and like that's my defense mechanism or something i can't i can't be shocked with how horrible it gets if i'm always assuming it will be horrible which is sad but i mean that's how we've coped with the last 13 years anyway i guess but I mean, if that happened, that would be great. I think realistically what we can hope for is that of the four of Britton, Mattis, Tillman, Arietta, we have two good pitchers in the last half of the season. And I think that's that's not too crazy. I think okay. Britton I think Britain will come back and still have some lumps to take, but 
hopefully he won't just get completely blown out of the water and um Arietta or Mattis can come and be something and Tillman if he's anything great cuz I probably have the least least hopes for Tillman of um, all those guys. Here's another sort of angle to to look at this. What if Brian Mattis hadn't gotten hurt and was as effective as he is capable of being or that he has shown he's capable of being? Like how different do you I I guess what I'm asking is there is a narrative that you could put on the season that the Orioles have had where they were treading water waiting for Mattis to come back. And then he came back and was terrible. And then things fell apart. And the narrative is that when they saw that he wasn't walking through that door, they sort of, they lost steam and became the Orioles that we know and loathe. I mean, I don't know if, how much of it is that it's certainly you can build that narrative because that's you know those things coincided whether they were related i don't know but even if there was no connection if we had one decent pitcher in the rotation right now things would just look so much different instead of having to run out you know mitch atkins is making starts brad bergeson is making starts uh you know alfredo simone although he actually pitched like the best scenario starters pitched in a month and a half with his last start. But, I mean, we didn't want to see Alfredo Simone in the rotation at the start of this year. That was like, you know, worst case scenario. I will say this, because, you know, I, I don't think it's enough that the Orioles would benefit from one very good pitcher, <laughs> given everything. Because, like you said, if we say Mattis came back, He'd replace, I guess, Ferguson at the beginning of the season and then Atkins and then himself in, in the middle of the season. But you'd still be looking at Simone and Jakubowskis and Tillman struggling. And- yeah, it would just feel a lot less hopeless if one of the young guys was kind of holding down what something close to what we were hoping for. Like, I mean, the... Uh... The Camden Chad prop bet, what, for the which would be lower, Brian Mattis' ERA or the price of gas, and it looks like the price of gas is going to be lower, which is a bummer, because I really Oof. really wanted it to be Mattis' ERA lower. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Ooh, that so, is a gut punch. I mean, Mattis has only thrown 25.2 big league innings, but his ERA is 8.77. That's yeah. disastrous. And he's pretty much deserved an 8.77. Yeah. So the thing that bums me out the most about the Orioles' rotation is, for the most part, the worst pitcher in the rotation on any other team is better than, like, every (laughs) Orioles starter. They keep saying it's the year of the pitcher part two. The Orioles have the worst ERA in Major League Baseball. 4.85 team ERA. The lowest is... uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, okay, they're in the NL. Let's see, the lowest AL team is Oakland, 3.16, Team ERA. The Mariners at 3.39, the Angels at 3.4, Yankees at 3.46. We're over a run and a half worse per game than all these teams. It's also worth noting, when you're talking about ERA, the defense, the overall defense is... I think the worst in baseball. I yeah. don't think it's even close. I think that is true. And uh, that's 
going to <laughs> contribute. I mean, Mark Reynolds is on pace if you go by the plus minus system and you know that I do, Mark. Um, Mark Reynolds is on pace to give up almost 50 runs on his own this season just by playing a terrible third base. Not, not just terrible, the worst third base that Baseball Info Solutions has ever recorded anybody playing any position. That's Mark Reynolds this season. So, you know, you, you look at the, the Orioles have given up almost 500 runs on the season. That's basically the worst in baseball. I think the Cubs are the only team above them in that category. And the defense is a, a big part of that because, you know, Matt Wieters has been great. Um, some people think Hardy's been great. I think he's that's a little overstated, but everybody else has been not good. The outfield, especially left field, I mean, there hasn't been a left fielder with range playing for pretty much the whole season because when it was Luke Scott out there, you know, he can't he can't chase anything down. Felix PA is going to take bad routes. He's going to throw. Well, one of the recent games, Jim Palmer said after Felix made a throw in on some plays, just and Felix PA is going to throw the ball in. He has no clue what he's doing, what base he's throwing to, and it's just yeah, that's what you get with Felix, and it's uh, it sucks, it sucks to watch because you know that's costing guys runs. I mean. The pitching hasn't been great, but it hasn't been helped in the least by the defense. I think that is fair to say. And speaking of the defense, we also got in the J.J. Hardy press conference a a very, my opinion, disturbing quote from Andy McPhail saying um, he likes to measure defense on how his gut feels when the ball is hit towards certain guys. And when the ball is hit towards J.J. Hardy, his gut feels good. So therefore, he thinks J.J. Hardy is a good infielder. I just don't understand how people can be so against defensive metrics generally. It seems fair to say that you can measure range. Now, you can argue with the particulars and maybe say, well, this is better than this. But, I mean, you can see, you can tell, does a guy have a good break? Does he have good speed getting to something? You know, does he have good reflexes? And it's just, it baffles me that so many of these guys who have to be smart about so many things to get these jobs, I would assume they have to be smart to get these jobs, just refuse to see that there's more than meets the eye there, you know? Yeah, you know, it'd be one thing if I was listening to the radio and Chuck in Towson was complaining about these UZR numbers and he watches the games and whatever. Like, that'd be one thing. It'd be annoying, but I'd turn off the radio and I'd forget all about him. But this is the general manager of the Baltimore Orioles, who is tasked with putting together a good team, who has put together the worst defensive team in baseball. And the slowest, I think. And um, Well, I think they got One of the slowest, yeah. Um, and he's saying, oh, well... It's not a matter of which numbers. It's, I don't want to use any numbers. And, you know, maybe he was just saying something offhand in a press conference and he didn't really mean anything by it. Maybe he just wanted to compliment Hardy to saying, you know, he doesn't give him acid reflux. (laughs) Uh, 
And he doesn't give me acid reflux either, so... J.J. Hardy is Prilosect to Andy McPhail, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it just seems like for an organization that right now, amongst at least the Camden Chatters, is struggling very hard to maintain an image of, to, to borrow a phrase, 21st century thinking, it, it seemed like sort of a baffling... Almost um, uh, argumentative thing to say to, to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it, it just—it could be that. But I mean, you could be right. You know, the because it's not like this was a comment made in a vacuum. Other things that Andy McPhail says or thinks seem to just be, you know, outdated thinking. Like especially if you want to talk about how the Orioles play the international market which is mostly not at all and it's another you know it's just more things to reinforce this idea that he's like you know 20 years too late being a gm right now he should have just been maybe a gm in the early 90s and you know he was good in that era and now he's just not adjusting well you know i don't think i mean maybe maybe that's it but you know, this is a smart guy. And, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, you know, <laughs> we like to complain more than anything else. But Andy McPhail, you know, he, he's been in baseball forever. He, he got there by being a smart guy. He's stayed there by being a smart guy in, in at least some fashions. Uh, he's had success in the past building teams and you know he he can talk all he wants about the challenges of the AL East but I mean he hasn't managed to build the Orioles into anything except basically the worst team in baseball year after year so you know I, I I gotta feel like there's something else going on besides just he's unwilling to learn new things because that doesn't make any sense to me i guess one thing we could say is maybe the things that andy mcphail has been good at he's not able to leverage with the orioles situation because it was pretty desperate before he was hired um we certainly haven't seen any noticeable improvement at the big league level yet i don't know how much we can say that the farm system has improved considering Bowie and norfolk have like nobody well frederick's getting there at least you know i mean so i guess the question about mcphail is how long do we need to give him before we're judging well is he a failure and you know is his contracts up at the end of this year is it time to say well he's a failure move on some days i think yes let's get rid of him some days i don't know i, well, I go back and forth well yeah i do too but you know for one thing you are what your record says you are and I think there's nobody who can really argue that. And his record doesn't look very good, even remotely, no matter what angle you take on it. And for a second thing, you know, there's just weird things that you hear that make you scratch your head. Like he was talking to Steve Molesky about his, his international efforts, which are, are lacking. And he said some offhand comment about how he hasn't done a study on how often the high price guys turn out. Maybe you should do, and he, you know, just sort of offhandedly said, like, maybe you should do a study, Steve Molesky. 
And what was weird was about like, you that? You haven't done a study. What was weird about that was Stacy had an interview with uh, Matt Klentak, who was, I think, his title was director of baseball operations. And in that interview, he said that the Orioles had done a study on the international market, and they determined that the return on investment was not enough to worth having significant investment there. So. I mean, what, what did they do that? And Andy McPhail never found out about it. I don't know. That was just very weird. Yeah. So it's just weird things that come up, and sometimes I I just get the sense that the organization as a whole is just trying to oversimplify things that shouldn't be oversimplified. Like or baseball we judge is complicated. Batting average and RBI. Like, no, we we don't do that anymore. And I'm not saying they necessarily do, because I'm sure. That there is somebody, and and more than one, persons working in the warehouse as we speak, that understands how important on base percentage is to successful uh, hitting. Um, but you know, you you just you get the sense that sometimes they you know they they look at they say oh well the guys that get four million dollars internationally don't turn out enough so we won't give anybody any money internationally it's like way to throw the baby out with the bathwater you know yeah um, i guess the question is i would agree with you that there have to be some guys in the warehouse who know all that stuff how much are they being listened to you know i i guess not a lot because we clearly haven't built a team this year that's emphasizing that i just i i don't get it i don't i don't understand how we can still be struggling with, with simple things like we measure defense, not how do we measure, just we measure defense and, you know, we, Vlad is a, should not be a cleanup hitter because he's a terrible hitter. No power doesn't get on base. There's nothing else to it. And, that is you know, one of the great mysteries like of the season is how did he stay clean up until he got hurt? There's even no, like if he comes back, I'm sure he'll be right back in the cleanup spot. So who knows? But they have to be smarter than this. They just they they have to be. I mean, maybe they're just out thinking themselves, and they're so desperate to try to do something that they're trying all these uh, I, unconventional I do, I, things, and it's making it to us. It seems like it's making it worse. I do. I I absolutely agree that I I the, I think they feel a tremendous amount of pressure to do something after four years and it's sort of like how at the at the end of a manager's tenure when he can see the end coming how he will tend to put on more hit and runs and shuffle the lineup more often and pull pitchers quicker because those are the only things he can do on a daily basis which is also known as everything that dave tremblay was doing like last (laughs) may well, yeah, and you know Sam Perlazzo before him. Like when you're batting, Mazzilli when you're batting Cesar as tourist leadoff, like that's a cry for help right there. You're just asking to be put out of your misery. So, you know, uh, it's probably a bunch of things, but it's it's a it's the great mystery. It's what I'm going to spend the rest of the season trying to figure out is what exactly is the front office thinking. Perhaps by the end of the season, we'll even have an idea of that. And uh, surely we'll come on and tell you about it if we think we figure something out. Well, probably we will. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I guess you never know. We're kind of unreliable podcast hosts. Although, uh, 
we're actually we're, we're trying. We are trying, and in fact, one thing we're going to try to do is have shorter but more frequent Camden casts. So we're getting close to winding down time for this episode, but maybe we'll be back next week. So Andrew, with the Hall of Fame induction ceremony coming up this weekend, wants to talk a little bit for our final thought about uh, a couple of people who are being inducted this weekend who have a little connection to the Orioles. Well, um, you all might already know, but the Hall of Fame induction ceremony on Sunday will include, amongst the much talked about on the internet, uh, Bert Blylevel, Bert Blylevin, uh, Robbie Alomar, and Pat Gillick, who were both key factors of the last good Orioles team, as hard to believe as that is. Um, and... Boy, that just that that really makes me very very happy for both of them. Um, I have, you know, I'm not really a, a professional baseball person um, necessarily, but as far as respect for people who are, Pat Gillick is about as high as it comes as far as, far as I'm concerned, and. Um, Nobody played second base like Robbie Alomar played second base. So I'm, I'm thrilled for them, and um, congratulations. I, I'm sure both of you are uh, iTunes subscribers to the Camden cast. Wow, that, that would be the best thing in the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, and uh, I heard uh, Robbie actually had his number retired in Toronto, the first Blue Jay to have his number retired. Is that right? Yes, wow. that's pretty awesome. Too. They didn't even so. retire like Joe Carter or something. Well, I mean, Joe Carter hit like one home run. Robbie Alomar hit memorable home runs in the World Series too. So it's hard not to have fond memories of those guys because, like you said, they were both uh, important parts of the last good Orioles team. So yeah. yeah, and everywhere Pat Gillick went, he won. Every single place he went, he won. Most recently Baltimore, in Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia. Everywhere, you know. I'm sure there's many in Baltimore that kind of wish Pat Gillick had never been run out of town. Well, amongst many other folks that, you know, we all wish had not been run out of town. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Number one on my list being Mike Messina, who should still, you know, come back and throw out a first pitch or something. But that's neither here nor there. That's just my, my personal madness something something we've been on before so my note about the hall of fame for this weekend is the other player being inducted is Bert Blylevin and he has no Orioles connection whatsoever but um he was just one of my irrationally favorite players when I was a wee lad and collected baseball cards because his baseball card if you turn it on the back because he played for so many seasons he just had the most lines of stats and I just always thought that was awesome because there was just the most to look at and see on his baseball card. He was on so many teams. He pitched for so many years. When I was young, that was very exciting to me. Get a Burt Blylevin and you could just have all that stuff. It was great. And he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And right? finally he's... being recognized for that. Yeah. So more power. Congratulations to him. to him, too. Yes. He, you know. I just I don't have anything particularly fond to say of him because I don't remember ever watching him play. I so. don't know that I did either, but man, did I love his baseball card. <laughs> well, 
uh, on that note, I think it's it's time to wrap it up, Mark. So I uh, wish you a good evening and to everybody else. I think it is too. So yes, good. Well, whenever you're listening to this, have a good then. And hopefully the <laughs> Orioles have a nice weekend series against the Angels. Who's after that? The Blue Jays. I never feel good against the Blue Jays, but we'll see what happens. So for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Cast, and we are out of here.